This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the fifth day of January 2023. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning as uh, we work our way around what's going on in the world of sports, um, around the world of politics, a little bit of everything. It's uh, another wild day. In Congress, uh, absolutely insane. Um, six ballots now. Still no Speaker of the House. <laughs> Some things uh, have have not changed at all. So that's where we're at as far as that goes. They're, they're being uh, encouraged to try to figure it out. I don't know how you figure it out at this point, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I just think that... Uh, uh, the Republican Party has become so dysfunctional and so splintered, and uh, we have nobody to blame but the great orange man himself, and uh, the Republicans deserve everything they get. So we'll continue to watch um, that uh, today. <laughs> I, I don't expect anything to be any different. What's, gonna, what's interesting is they were supposed to be on, uh, uh, have the day off on Friday, wouldn't it be ironic if they're trying to select a Speaker of the House on the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection? It's unbelievable. So along um, uh, with that drama, I mentioned yesterday about what was going on with um, the U.S. national soccer team. And... It, it's come out that this is, uh, and I mentioned yesterday that somebody, you know, brought this out and brought it up and, and basically tried to blackmail uh, Greg Berhalter, the, the, the men's national team coach. Well, we come to find out who it was. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it was the mother of Gio Reyna, the 20-year-old midfielder uh, who was on the team, only played 53 minutes in the World Cup uh, Rayner, who had a little bit of a temper tantrum himself and acted like an absolute jerk. Um, you know, he acted like a kid. And uh, then there was a speech made by Burhalter uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, he didn't mention Rayner by name, but he made some allusions to uh, things. And, and it was it, it certainly was he was talking about Gio Reyna. And what's, what's ironic about this, Claudio Reyna, who, of course, was on the men's national team for a long, long time, um, was the best man at Greg Berhalter's wedding to the woman that um, he kicked back in 1991. 1991. And I talked yesterday about how we're, you know, everything on the Internet never goes away. Well, what's, what, what makes this so awful is this, this sounds like a soccer mom or a little league mom 
you know, uh, trying to go after the coach because they didn't treat their son right. And this is nothing less than uh, sour grapes and, and, and a helicopter mom. It's gross. I'm not, for, you know, I'm not trying to minimize what, uh, what Greg Berhalter did back in 1991. He's talked about it. He's apologized for it. Um, he's married to the woman that he kicked. So if that was that big a deal, why are they still married? Right? Um, so, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, that he wasn't in the wrong back in 1991. But what I'm trying to say is, is that 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 was, you know, a long time ago, it was forgiven by his wife. Everybody makes mistakes. I know in this day and age, you're not allowed to make mistakes, but, you know, but to have a mom of one of your current players bring this up simply out of retribution for the way she feels her son was dissed during the World Cup is silly. It's gross. I don't I don't know that there is a there's no graceful way out of this. Now Berhalter's contract expired a month ago. So they have to have a new coach anyway, and, and whether they're going to sign him to a new contract or not, we don't know. There's an independent investigation going on there. Uh, in the meantime, Anthony Hudson, who was a member of Burhalter's staff, is going to coach the team. They've got a couple of exhibitions coming up uh, at the end of the month with Serbia and Colombia. Um, so it, it's just—I don't know what they do here. I mean, if they go, if they if they decide to sign Burhalter to a new contract, you're alienating the Reina family. But at this point, who cares? Um, and you know, there are people on the internet, on, on social media that are losing their minds because this happened back in 1991, a heat of the moment kind of thing. And it's just it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, now off of the sports world, there was another, um, news story I saw yesterday and this has to do with Hollywood. Now, I know we're going to get to sports in a minute, I promise. But with the Burhalter thing happening and something that happened in 1991, back in 1968, there was a movie made by Frank, uh, Franco Zeffirelli. It was uh, Romeo and Juliet. And it starred Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting. They were 15 and 16 years old at the time. Okay? Um. They're both now in their 70s. Now, in this movie, there were a couple of nude scenes. Uh, I, think the, I think that the young man's uh, rear end was exposed, and I think Olivia Hussey's breasts were exposed. Um, and now, they were 15 and 16. They were minors, and, you know, be that as it may, you know, I mean, look, that's not, that's not cool. Um, however... You know, they say that uh, the director told them that there would be no nude scenes and anything that appeared to be nude, they'd be wearing, uh, you know, body makeup and, uh, you know, skin uh, colored, you know, uh, prosthetics so that, you know, nobody would see anything. But then at the last minute, they say he changed his mind and, and there was actually nude scenes in there. So they're suing 
they're suing Paramount, who distributed the film, for $500 million plus for something that happened in 1968. Now, here's the problem with this. Again, I, I, I'm not, for, you know, it was it was a long time ago. These were kids. They shouldn't. There shouldn't have been any nudity. I get all that. Okay, I get it. But in 2018, Olivia Hussey actually gave an interview to Variety magazine in Hollywood and said, you know, uh, but she said nobody my age had done that before. Talking about the nude scene, and she said, that, but Zeffirelli shot it tastefully. She said it was needed for the film. Okay, so she didn't have a problem with it in 2018. Then in another interview with Fox News that same year, she said that the scene was uh, quote-unquote taboo in America, but nudity is already common in European films. She said it wasn't that big of a deal. And she said Leonard wasn't shy at all in the middle of the shooting. I, I just completely forgot I didn't have clothes on. So in 2018, she didn't have a problem with it. Now all of a sudden, she has a problem with it. Uh, Again, this is all part of what's going on in America now where, where everybody is suing everybody, and it's just nuts. Just nuts. So uh, so that's the, uh, you know, I don't, again, there's no, we're not going to change it. The, the genie is out of the bottle. Social media is what it is. Everybody's canceling everything. Everybody is pissed about everything. The DeMar uh, Hamlin thing that just went on. Do you realize people are blaming T. Higgins, the wide receiver, that DeMar Hamlin tackled? That somehow it's T. Higgins' fault? Are you kidding me? It's nuts. It's nuts. And, and you, know, you know, the other part of this is, and I, and I talked yesterday with the DeMar Hamlin thing about how this kind of tragedy has brought out the best in a lot of people. Right? It really has. Um, you know, donating to his charity and, you know, what we've heard about fans, um, you know, consoling each other and, and the way, you know, everybody's been acting and the, the city of Cincinnati just getting behind, you know, a guy from an opposing team and, it's great. Yet yesterday on Twitter, it w- there was an announcement that uh, Robert Kraft made a donation to the uh, the, the fundraiser uh, that Demar Hamlin has, and he donated eighteen thousand and three dollars. Now he did this; it has significance. The number eighteen in the Jewish faith signifies life, and of course, Demar Hamlin's number is three. So he donated eighteen thousand and three dollars. People were going on to Twitter yesterday and criticizing Robert Kraft for only donating $18,000. They said that's like somebody who makes $100,000 a year donating $0.18. He's a billionaire. Are you kidding me? And by the way, these are people that didn't donate at all. But that being said, come on. What do you want him to do? You know, Jim Irsay of the Indianapolis Colts donated $25,000. You know, players are donating ten, fifteen thousand dollars. That's great. To act, to go out and criticize somebody that oh, he only gave eighteen thousand dollars. That's just gross. What do you want Robert Kraft to do? Hey, just give him a blank check. 
it's not about the amount of money. It's the, it's the symbolism of what people are doing. But to have people on social media going out and criticizing Robert Kraft uh, and Tom Brady and some of these other players that, oh, you know, why are you only donating $10,000? What's the matter with you? Good God. Come on, people. And somehow blaming T. Higgins. And, and it got to the point where DeMar Hamlin's family had to make a statement yesterday and say, stop it. They said, if you think you're supporting DeMar by bashing T, you're not. They don't agree with anything that's being said about T. Higgins. Stop it. What is the matter? You know, and you wonder why some people are so pessimistic about not just this country, but the world as it, as it is. Because, it, you know, for every great thing that we see and everything that was touching about what, what's going on with DeMar Hamlin, we have these morons that just have to uh, take things in a completely different direction. A lot of it, you know, especially on social media, makes it worse. A lot of these people are just looking for, you know, attention. You know, you, you've heard the term clickbaits, why, you know, some media outlets will make a headline the way it is just to try to get people to click on it because it's a, a sensational headline. You know, good God. You know, and it goes right along, by the way, with what's going on in the Congress today. Right? It really does. Just crazy. Just absolutely crazy what's going on. Um, so... Uh, look, we've got some good news from yesterday, especially if you're a baseball fan, especially if you're a Red Sox fan. We haven't uh, we haven't talked about the Red Sox an awful lot lately, but they finally got something done yesterday. It's great news. Uh, you know, at the same time, it's not it's not like the Red Sox are suddenly at the t- going to be at the top of the division. But man, this is a a positive step forward. It's one that Red Sox fans have been clamoring for, and it's one if Heimblum hadn't made this. There would have been people around Fenway Park with pitchforks ready to burn the place down. We're going to talk about that in a minute when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 22 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. And uh, as I alluded to prior to the break, hallelujah, (laughs) the Red Sox uh, did something. Finally. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and finally, they lock up their homegrown talent for a long time. We have, you know, how many times have we seen guys that the Red Sox brought up through their system, you know, most notably Mookie Betts, and of course just recently Xander Bogarts, just to let them walk away because they refuse to lock these guys up into long-term contracts. Well, yesterday they signed Rafi Devers to an 11-year $331 million extension to keep him in a Red Sox uniform through his age 36 season. Uh, it is the richest contract in team history. It's, it, it eclipses the $217 million that David Price got, which was an awful signing back in 2016. Uh, the previous length of contract, the longest they had given out, Manny Ramirez back in 2001. Look, this is the way of the world now. 11 years, 10 years, 9 years. These, these are the contracts you're going to see now. It's just the way it is. Um, and 
after letting Xander Bogarts walk, they had to do this. And basically, look, here's what they confirmed to us. They knew all along they weren't going to be able to afford to keep both Xander Bogarts and Rafi Devers. That was just going to be too much money. They had to make a decision as to who it was going to be. And they won't admit this, but I guarantee you the reason that they signed Trevor's story last year and put him at second base was knowing that going into this year, he was going to be this team's shortstop. They'll never admit it, but I guarantee you that's the deal. And look, if you look at it that way, you can't argue really what the Red Sox did. Now, look, I love Xander Bogarts. I'd love to have seen him in a Red Sox uniform. He represented that organization as well as anybody possibly could. But they had to do it this way. Rafi Devers is 25 years old. Xander Bogarts is 30. Xander Bogart's 11-year contract is going to go until he is 41. Age 41 shortstops do not fare well. So there was no real option here. Xander Bogart's wanted a long-term contract like this, and the Red Sox weren't going to do it. Now, did they handle it well? Absolutely not. Did were they were they borderline insulting to Xander Bogart's in the way they handled this? Absolutely. It could have been done much more gracefully. And you can make the case that if they re- if this was really what they knew they were going to do, they should have traded him last summer at the trade deadline and gotten something back for him instead of what they're going to get this year, which is like a fifth-round draft pick or something. Right? They, they should have done this last year because I guarantee you they knew this was the deal. Now, there was no guarantee, and, and maybe this is why they didn't do it. Maybe they hedged their bets a little bit because there was no guarantee that they were going to be able to lock Rafi Devers up into a long-term contract. You know, you just never know. And the fact that he and Xander Bogarts were so close, in a lot of people's minds, they were a package deal. You either ended up with both or you ended up with neither one of them. Fortunately, those people were wrong. But look, uh, Devers is a generational talent. You know, I've seen things. People think that you know, with the with the doing away of the shift and stuff that's going to happen this year, they think that that uh, you know he's going to hit three fifty, three sixty. He's not going to do that. I mean, is he going to be a three hundred hitter? I would think he'll be right around that. Yeah. You know. And we've seen the kind of power that this kid has. You know, the defense is still spotty at times, but I thought his defense improved significantly last year. So I don't think there's any thought of them moving him off of third base, especially now where it looks like the Red Sox have are going to hitch their wagon to Tristan Cassis as their first baseman, as they should. You know, and there are people that are down on Cassis because he only hit 191 last year. Look, the kid showed the ability to get on base. He's got a great eye. He wasn't swinging at stuff that was out of the strike zone. So he may have, you know, only hit 191, but his on-base percentage was significantly higher. 
And we've seen what the kid can do in the minors. Jesus, he came up and, you know, you know, he had a month and a half or two months of, of Major League Baseball to try to get used to Major League Baseball pitching on a regular basis. You can't expect miracles. It takes guys a little time to adjust, and I think he's going to be just fine. So now they've done that with Devers. And, and, I, and look, here's what this did, at least – in my mind, this saved Time Bloom's job. If he didn't get this done, and I made jokes about them burning Fenway down, we obviously know they're not going to burn Fenway down, right? But, but if he doesn't get this done, they, um, the ownership was going to get rid of him. You know, once they haven't had a lot of uh, patience with their uh, president of baseball operations slash general manager since Theo Epstein left, right? Ben Charrington, Dave Dombrowski, you know, they wore out their welcomes very quickly. Dave Dombrowski, you know, built a hell of a team. Spent a lot of money, got him a World Series. But when things started to go south, he was out the door. Well, Heimblum was out of in a position now. You know, three years they've got. You know, they made a run to the ALCS one year, but the two other years they finished in last place. If he doesn't get this done, he's gone, and he might have been gone before the season started, or very close to the when the season started when they got off to an awful start. But he saved his job at least for now. You know, the other thing I've seen, and and because. Bloom came from Tampa, and, you know, they have a history of, of, of doing uh, things on the cheap, so to speak. This, this makes sense, and a lot of people have called it the Atlanta Braves model. But if this Red Sox team truly believes in their young players, Brian Bayo, Tristan Cassis, Marcelo Meyer, Garrett Whitlock. They need to start thinking about locking these guys up long-term. Now, Meyer, obviously they're not doing that because he hasn't been in the major leagues yet. But if you really believe in Tristan Cassis and Bayo, why don't you now go to them and try to lock them into an eight, nine-year deal at a club-friendly salary betting that you're going to get value for that. And the player who, you know, they could bet on themselves and say, no, I think I'm going to be a superstar, and, and you know, they could, they could do what a lot of veterans do and, and turn down extensions and say, no, I'm going to keep playing so that I can increase my value because I believe I'm going to be better. They might turn it down. But you'll find quite often young players take the money when offered to them when they are, you know, well prior to their arbitration years or their free agency years. Why? Because they understand, a lot of these young kids understand that the percentage of players that truly end up making the huge money is small. And if Tristan Cassis, you know, bombs, well, and the Red Sox offer him $15 million a year for eight years, and he bombs... Well, he's laughing all the way to the bank. 
if Brian Bayo blows out his arm and has to have Tommy John surgery or, you know, something that ends his career because, you know, he, he hurts his arm so bad, he can take that money to the bank. You know, instead of, hey, you're, you know, you're then working for the major league minimum because you're injured. You know, so there's something to be said for job security and financial security if you're a young player. The Braves have become masters of that, locking up their young players long term. And it won't cost you $30 million a year. I don't know what the number is, $15, $18 million a year. I don't know what that number is. But if you truly believe in these guys, lock them up. If you truly believe Garrett Whitlock is the future in your rotation, lock them up. So we'll have to see you know, whether they'll go that route or not. But it makes sense. It's time that the Red Sox started keeping some of these core players in Red Sox uniforms for the long run so that we don't continually get into situations where we're watching Xander Bogarts and Mookie Betts' generational talents walking away because the Red Sox, uh, quote-unquote, can't afford them. Which, by the way, is a crock of crap anyway. Because if they wanted to, the Red Sox could do the same thing that Steve Cohen, the owner of the New York Mets, is doing. Right. Although, you know, you begin to wonder at some point, John Henry has spread himself so thin owning the Liverpool Soccer Club in the you know English Premier League, now owning the Pittsburgh Penguins, owning the Red Sox, owning Nesson, owning the Boston Globe. At what point, you know, uh, you know, we don't know what his financial situation is. Perhaps he's stretched a little bit farther than he wants to be. You know, there's been talk of them selling uh, the, the English Premier League team in Liverpool because uh, the finances, you know, the transfer fees and all that other stuff of, of you know, and pretty much an unlimited budget uh, in the Premier League has gotten too rich for his blood, so to speak. But they could they could afford they could have afforded Bogart's endeavors at the same time. They chose not to because they don't want to pay the uh, the top luxury tax. I, and I get that. You know, there's there, what you could make a case that what Steve Cohen's doing in New York is irresponsible fiscally, but it's his money. He can be as irresponsible as he wants, and but not everybody wants to be fiscally irresponsible. But the Red Sox could afford to do that, and they need to. You know, if if you really think Cassis is your guy, and and here's the thing, folks, if they're going to do this with Cassis and with Bayo. And maybe with Whitlock, although with Whitlock, that ship may have sailed because Whitlock's had a couple of years where, you know, what he's done in the bullpen has been unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, he might be he might be the one to be willing to to uh, bet on himself. But we'll see, you know, but he's had some, you know, some injury issues with the hip and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. But now's the time, because if you wait until the end of this year and Tristan Cassis has a breakout year where he's, uh, you know, maybe he's the rookie of the year in the American League and he he hits 280 and with 35 bombs and 110 runs batted in, then you're in trouble because then the price just went up. So it'll be interesting to see if the Red Sox want to go that route. It makes sense. They've never done it before, but it makes sense. So now they know that Rafi Devers is their their cornerstone. He's their guy they build around. Look, 
the problem is, is that, and I said this yesterday on Twitter, it's great that they did this. Absolutely great. But it doesn't mean that they haven't completely botched this offseason. Heimblum has completely blown this offseason as he is. Look, the only thing I will give him credit for is he did a good job, at least on paper, of rebuilding that Red Sox bullpen. You know, uh, having Kenley Jansen as your closer with his history makes me feel a whole hell of a lot better than what we saw last year. You know, they've reworked that bullpen to the point where Matt Barnes, who guys they're paying a lot of money to, becomes like a sixth-inning guy. That's a great thing. Um, so I will give him credit for that. However, they have done nothing to address this pitching staff. And, and look, I don't want to hear about, well, you know, we have Nick Pavetta and, and Garrett Whitlock's going to be in the rotation and we have Brian Bale. Guys, look, Nick Pavetta is a, a okay, you know, he takes the ball. He's a good number four, number five starter. This is not an ace of your team. Brian Bayo at times looked really good. At times looked like a horse crap. He's a young kid. You still don't know what you're going to get with him. And he, you know, and, and he walks too many guys. Right? You let Nate Avaldi walk. You know, you let Rich Hill go. I not necessarily have a problem with that, but Rich Hill, you know, again, was a guy that took the ball whenever you asked him to, and, and he gave you everything he got. Um. I don't understand why Michael Wackus hasn't been re-signed. Don't understand that at all. You know, unless the Red Sox think that uh, last year was an absolute fluke for him, but there's there's nothing that I saw from Michael Wacka last year that makes me think that he can't repeat that this year. Um, so why isn't he, you know, in the fold? So what's the big signing the Red Sox made for their pitching staff? It's Cor- It's Corey Kluber. Right, they signed him for what, twelve million bucks, one year deal. He's got an option for a second year. Which look, um, this guy's won two Cy Youngs, but he's not the Corey Kluber that he was in the past. He's had a lot of injuries the last few years. Now he 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 was able to complete a whole season last year, made thirty starts for Tampa, but he still had an ERA in the mid fours. Right, um, through one hundred and sixty four innings, that's great. So he's a guy that'll go out and take the ball for you every Great, but the, you know. You're telling me right now that the Red Sox are counting on Chris Sale and James Paxton, two guys that are – Sale hasn't been really on the field for a couple of years. You know, he can't stay healthy. You know, you can say what happened to him at the end, you know, after he came back from the injury last year and he came back and he, you know, got hit in the hand as a fluke thing. Well, be that as it may, but whatever. Look, this guy has a history of getting hurt. Never had that before, but ever since he's come to Boston, he's been like the glass man. And Paxton with the Tommy John, we don't know what to expect, but you're they're counting on these two guys at the top of their rotation. And if they're healthy, and if they can give the Red Sox I don't look, I don't think you're getting 30 starts out of either one of them. If they, if you do, Jesus, that Merry Christmas and you know, then we're having a different conversation perhaps. But is it realistic for a guy that hasn't pitched in a couple of years in Paxton and in Sale that they're going to be able to throw, you know, 175 innings? I doubt it. I doubt it. And if they can't do that, 
then your rotation's a mess. Because then you're telling me that, you know, this kid, you know, the rookie in Brian Bayo is your guy. Right? Or Corey Kluber is going to all of a sudden refine, uh, you know, the uh, the form that he had back in, uh, uh, when was it, 2017 when he was uh, 18-4 and four and had a 2-2-5 ERA? It was five years ago and several injuries ago. And if he does, great. We're having a different conversation. But there's a lot of ifs there. A ton of them. So they still have things they need to fix. They need another arm. They need somebody they can rely on that if Chris Sale and Paxton go down, that they can throw into that rotation and say, okay, I feel that you know when we throw this guy out there, we have a chance to win a game every time. Michael Walker would be a good start. I don't know, you know, a lot. Most of the the quality arms are still signed. Maybe, and, and call me crazy. I like the idea of Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto's a guy that looked like he was done a few years ago, and this guy has reinvented himself. And he had a hell of a year with the Chicago White Sox last year. Johnny Cueto bringing him in here on a one year deal. Why not? They've got to do something. They've got to have another arm. And then they have to figure out what they're going to do at second base. If it's going to be Christian Arroyo, and look, I love Christian Arroyo. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still not convinced this is an everyday player. I hope he proves me wrong, but I'm not sure about that. So if he's your second baseman and it means you're leaving Kike Hernandez in center field, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, and and uh, you know, and then your outfield is pretty much set. You know, and maybe Jaron Duran is your is your fourth outfielder. But if if it's not Christian Arroyo, then you've got to either you've then you've got to do something. You've got to make a move to get. Either A, another shortstop. I don't know what that looks like. Now, there is some talk that the Padres might be willing to move their young kid, Lee, who played shortstop when Fernando Tatis was suspended last year and was outstanding. But now with Xander Bogarts there, um, you know, maybe he becomes expendable. The Padres are listening. Maybe the Red Sox could pry him away. Um, Joey Wendell might be a, a decent option. I don't know that I'm in love with that idea. You know, my hope, honestly, was that they would move Kike to second base because that's where he really wants to be, and he's pretty good at second base. And they, they had gone out and found themselves a center fielder. But we watched all the guys that, you know, the quality center fielders go out and sign with teams. You know, now I'll throw, in, I'll throw another wild card out there. What if they went out and said, um, we're going to bring in Andrew McCutcheon? Andrew McCutcheon is still out there. Nobody assigned him. You know, and you know, maybe you bring him in and have him play center field. And you move Kike to second base. Now you have Arroyo who can move all around the infield, um, you know, as your super utility guy. I don't think that would be. Uh, the worst thing in the world. Look, Andrew McCutcheon is is not a young man anymore. I get that. Thirty six years old, but look, um, 
He can still go get it in center field. Playing for Milwaukee last year. Look, played 134 games, played 144 the year before that with the Phillies. You know, the bat isn't what it used to be, but he's still got some pop. He can still hit you 20 home runs. You know, hit you 240, 250, and play a pretty good center field. That might be another option. But they still have to make a move. They've got to figure it out. I don't think Christian Arroyo is the answer. I don't. I'm okay with, with Trevor Story at shortstop. A lot of people aren't. They say, oh, his arm strength, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Look, uh, here's the thing with Trevor Story. His range is far better than Xander Bogarts. He's going to get the balls that Xander Bogarts could never get to, and his arm is strong enough. You know, Now, if it, if, if it flares up and, and he ends up on the shelf, well, then you know, I was wrong. But I think he can still be a solid shortstop for the Red Sox. But I think the problem right now is the other part of the uh, is the right side of that infield, and whether whether Christian Arroyo's the guy or not. And and I'm not I'm not convinced. Defensively, he's not bad. Offensively, at times, you know, he was a difference maker. But I just I don't want to hitch my wagon to him. Look, and, and if I'm playing in the AL Central. Maybe I do, or the NL Central, maybe I do, but we're in the American League East with the with the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, I still don't know if the Orioles are going to be as real as they were last year, but look, they're, they're, the Red Sox finished in last place, ladies and gentlemen, in the American League East. So you can't hit your wagon to Christian Arroyo and expect to compete and I, I'm not trying to. I'm not disparaging Christian Arroyo. Look, I, as I said, he was a great utility player for the Red Sox, and I think that's where he is best suited. But they've got other moves to make. Heimbloom blew this offseason. He signed Devers, but that doesn't uh, pull him out of the fire, as far as I'm concerned. Forty-five minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning. Uh, I was going to get into the Carlos Correa mess in uh, New York, but uh, I, uh, I waxed poetic for too long uh, on the Rafi Devers thing. So uh, we'll get to uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow unless they figure it unless they get it figured out today. But what a mess that's turned into be for Carlos Correa. Um, I watched the UConn men's basketball game last night, and uh, first of all, I have to say I was flat-out wrong. I expected the UConn Huskies to go into Providence last night um, and beat them by double digits. Well, uh, I guess uh, I guess I forgot how intense that rivalry can be. And, you know, now I think about it, I think they've Providence and UConn have played four times since UConn rejoined the Big East, and I think Providence has won three of them. Um but UConn laid an egg last night. You know, this is to take nothing away from Providence. But when you look at that box score last night, um, and, and it's as simple as this. Providence went to the free throw line 35 times last night. UConn went to the line 19 times. Providence won by 12. They made 29 free throws. UConn won, uh, made 10. That was the game. I mean, UConn just stunk. UConn took more shots in the game. Uh, they had UConn had 19 offensive rebounds, 19, and lost the game. 
You know, I mean, you look at that and it's just some of the stuff you just shake your head. Well, you know, they held Providence to 36% shooting overall. The problem was Providence was 8 of 18 from three-point range, 45%. UConn only hit 5 of 22 from out there. They were terrible. You know, their best guards couldn't throw it in the ocean. Um, you know, and the guys they brought off the bench, guys that they have gotten some nice production from, guys like Joey Calcaterra and uh, Hassan Diara, uh, they came off the bench and went one for 12 from three. So, you know, look, the, the UConn bigs look good. Adamas Sonogo, look, they did a good job of collapsing on him. They held him to just 11 points last night, but did a great job on the boards. Uh, the big kid, Donovan Klingon, the 7-2 kid, 12 points, 11 rebounds, four block shots in 21 minutes. And at times they had both Klingon and Sonogo out there at the same time. I think that's something that UConn needs to think about doing a little bit more. They've played a, a three-guard offense primarily with Andre Jackson, Trisha Newton, and Jordan Hawkins. I think UConn needs to think a little bit more about playing those two big guys together. You know, I know you run the risk there because, you know, Sonogo has had some, some foul trouble. Uh, so you run the risk if you play them both at the same time of uh, leaving yourself short in the middle if you do that. Uh, but look, right now, it's not working. And UConn needs to stop fouling, for God's sake. I know they want to be aggressive. But this is two games in a row now where UConn has played a game where they have gotten killed at the free throw line. The same thing happened at Xavier the other night, you know, where the foul discrepancy was huge. You can't win basketball games by letting your opponent take 30 free throws a game, and that is what the UConn Huskies have done the last two games in a row. So now UConn, that was the number two team in the country and undefeated, all of a sudden has lost two in a row. Uh, and they're 3-2 and two in the Big East. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like the sky is falling. UConn is still one of the best teams in the country. But right now, they are playing, in my mind, they're, they're being a little too loose with the basketball. They only turned it over eight times, but they had, there were so many times that you know they, the balls were getting tipped or they're dribbling around too much. Their guard play right now is just not good enough. And they're settling for threes at times. And, you know... I can get in an argument. A buddy of mine, John Silver, does the UConn Daily. Um, it's the newsletter that they put out. And uh, John's a former sports writer. Um, and uh, I've known John for a long time. And John thinks they just need to shoot their way out of this. I disagree. I think they need to start working the ball into the paint. Look, you've got a very athletic guard in Andre Jackson who can take the ball to the hole. You've got Sonogo. You've got Klingon. You need to use the size and the athletic ability to get the ball inside and force the other team to start committing turnovers, I mean, or committing fouls, and get yourself to the free throw line. Uh, when you shoot threes, you don't, the other team doesn't follow you because you're making it easy on them. And uh, when I started uh, – when I first started coaching college basketball, I coached at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy uh, with a buddy of mine uh, by the name of Pete Broca. And Pete Broca is one of the greatest basketball minds I've ever met. Division three coach for his entire career. Um, coached at, uh, at Coast Guard at Western New England at Springfield College. 
this guy is, you know, and, and, and he had opportunities to go to a, a bigger level and, and passed them up. And, uh, but this is a brilliant basketball mind. And he always said to me, I'll never forget this. When the, when the three point shot came in, he said, he always called three pointers fool's gold because, you know, you hit one and it's like you found this big golden nugget. So you keep digging and you keep digging. And you keep digging. You find more gold nuggets, except they, they're not they are not real gold. They're fool's gold. And all of a sudden, those three-pointers that were going in aren't going in anymore. But you've hit a couple, so you all of a sudden, you think that, that uh, you can hit them all, and you keep launching them up. And before you know it, you know, you're know you 5 for 22 from three-point range, as the UConn Huskies were last night. So, you know, I, I, think that, uh, I think they have fallen in love with that way too much. Way too much. So that's where we're at as far as uh, UConn goes. They're, look, they're going to be fine. I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the sky is not falling. But they do need to get back home. They knew they need to get things, the ship righted, and, uh, and figure this out. Uh, they play Creighton at Gamble Pavilion on Saturday. Creighton, 3-1 and one in the Big East, 9-6. and six. It is not going to be an easy game. Getting back, get a little home cooking. Uh, hopefully will help them. The women uh, for UConn play tonight there at Xavier. Uh, still no Caroline Ducharme. She is out with the uh, concussion protocol. But uh, UConn 12-2 overall, 5-0 and in the Big East, trying to keep things rolling. They're the number five team in the country, or excuse me, number four team in the country right now. And uh, getting healthy. And uh, Ezzy Fudd won't be there tonight, but uh, the talk is, is that she may be back next week for the Huskies. And, man, I'd look out uh, when they're 100% healthy they are going to be a handful uh, for anybody, including South Carolina. Uh, one more quick note. M- mentioned yesterday Jim uh, Harbaugh had uh, had some discussions with Carolina about their coaching vacancy uh, in the NFL, and it was characterized as a conversation, not a job interview. But he gave an interview yesterday uh, to Will Kunkel of the uh, Queen City News. And if you are a Michigan fan, it couldn't have given you a lot of, of uh, comfort because Harbaugh didn't say that he wasn't interested, didn't say that he was, but he didn't shut it down and say, I'm staying at Michigan. He said, although no one knows the future, I think I will be coaching Michigan next year. I think that my friends is not (laughs) what a uh, Michigan fan wants to hear. So uh, perhaps Jim Harbaugh is contemplating a return to the NFL. We shall see. Um, that's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. It's going to be Facebook Friday, so we'll have the uh, Facebook Live feed. We'll also have Dan Zampano, our uh, NFL contributor of the Sunday Card Podcast. He'll be here with us uh, to talk about the NFL games, talk about the DeMar Hamlin thing, talk about where the NFL goes as far as rescheduling that Bengals-Bills game. There's still no decision um, on what they're going to do as far as that goes. So uh, we'll have him on uh, tomorrow morning. So I hope you'll... You'll join us for that tomorrow. Birthdays today, by the way. Robert Duvall, one of the greatest actors uh, of our time, 92 years old. Diane Keaton, another uh, great one, 77. Ted Lang, remember him? Isaac from the Love Boat, 75 years old today. And it's also Bradley Cooper's birthday, 48 years old. Bradley Cooper, uh, great actor um, and uh, not a bad singer. Uh, He was in that remake of The Star is Born with Lady Gaga. And uh, in honor of Bradley Cooper's 48th birthday, we're going to leave you uh, with a song from the soundtrack. It's called Maybe It's Time. This is Bradley Cooper. Happy birthday, buddy. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.